Welcome to the 46th episode of the Known Pleasures podcast. Today, we are very honoured to be interviewing the bass player from the jam, Bruce Foxton. I say we, but it's basically me. My two podcasting compadres couldn't make it. Um, I think they didn't want to be down at the studio at midnight. So, here by the miracle of Zoom, this is Bruce Foxton. Uh, hello, Bruce. Hello. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing? Uh, technology. I was a bit wary of it, so I came in a bit earlier. I don't usually use Zoom and stuff, you know, but uh, here we are. Are you in London? Uh, south of London. It's a little village called Hazel uh, Hascombe. Oh, okay. It's about 30 miles from London. Well, the weather's looking good. Uh, yeah, today is. <laughs> <laughs> I should just explain who we are. My name's Graham, and this is the Known Pleasures podcast. We discuss the uh, post-punk and new wave era of the late 70s and early 80s. Um, usually, uh, we devote each episode to a specific band. We did an episode on the jam uh, a few years ago. So uh, for me, it's a, a great honour to be talking to you today. Uh, one of my colleagues insisted I introduce you like this. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Bruce Foxton from From the Jam and From the Jam. <laughs> it's like a tongue twister, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's a bit weird. We're really excited to see you guys come down here again. Uh, you're touring next year? Yeah, March. The weather will be a bit better then as well, won't it? Yeah, yeah it's just warming up now, so um, next March it'll be really nice. Well, where are you guys then, Graham? Where, where are you? Oh, I'm in Sydney. Um, so when you guys come to Sydney, I guess uh, I'll be seeing you guys at the Manning Bar, I think. Um, okay, the first question for you, this is something I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Um, do you think your harmony vocals were the unsung hero of the jam sound? Uh, there was a lot of mod bands around at the time and many of them were kind of similar in sound and style. But when I hear a jam song and I hear you harmonising with Paul... It's it's unmistakable. With a thought of the, the jam as a three piece, you know, uh, even it, Paul included in that um, because you know without Rick's drums and the, the, the patterns that he came up with, it wouldn't have been the same. Without my bass player, it wouldn't have been the same. So on and so forth, you know, with, with Paul obviously, um, and we we always said that if one of the guys, if one of us left, that would be kind of the end of it. But mm. obviously. 45 years later, I'm still playing the jam songs. <laughs> well, they're great songs. I'd be playing them too. I think our audience appreciate that it was a three-piece band and uh, it wasn't just Paul and two others. You know, and I'm sure Paul would agree with that. Yeah, well, the jam were a huge part of my teen years. I know that they were absolutely huge in the UK, but um, in Australia there was a pretty strong following as well. Came out a few years ago now, isn't it? It was great. The audiences were well attended and uh, mm. it was really fun to do. Okay, this is a question from one of my podcasting colleagues, Mark. Your first two albums were released in 1977 at the height of punk. Did you ever really feel part of that scene? And was your mod stance an issue with the punk audience? Um, I, I don't think it was an issue, really. I mean, it's just that's how we wanted to present ourselves, you know, we're wearing suits and collar and tie. Um, yeah. I think we agreed with the sentiment of anybody could get up there and do what we're doing. It, it, it just went hand in hand, I think, you know, that um, mm. we were doing our thing, they were doing theirs. I don't think 
bondage trousers would have suited me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and we just stuck with the suits. You know, a real close friend of mine, uh, as the band were getting more and more popular, he said, you know, it's great musically, but ditch the suits. <laughs> Oh, the, the we suits go. were great. You were one of the sharpest looking bands around at the time. I think, um, especially those, uh, the, the Union Jack jackets. Yeah, I've still got it, actually. I've still yeah. got my Jack jacket. Um, and it still fits. No. Pretty good. The trousers, though, <laughs> mm, not just. Okay, that happens to all of us. When you started playing From the Jam, I guess the more popular songs got the biggest reaction. But. Um, have you been surprised by any of the lesser-known songs that have gotten, you know, quite a big reaction? I, th- I think they just enjoyed the whole deal, really. Yeah. Um, yeah most songs, um, I'm lucky to say this, you know, most songs are well appreciated anyway. It's yeah. only new, new material that we, we are playing a couple of songs off of um, Butterfly Effect, the, mm. the, the second album that Russ and myself have recorded and... Um, that people just stand and listen, but that's fair enough because you know they haven't heard it before. Yeah, but yeah. we still appreciate it, and um, it's just a nod that we're not just playing jam songs. You know, we are moving forward as well with new material. Mm. You know, I'm still chuffed when I hear it on Radio Two. You know, over here, um, and it still sounds great, and that's a testament to the producer, you know, Vic Smith and stuff, and the band star we were playing. Yeah, um, yeah. Are you guys looking to uh, record any more new material? Uh, maybe. I mean, it feels like we've only just finished the last one. You know, yeah, I mean, we, that sound checks, you know, we kick around new ideas and stuff. So it's possible, but it's too early in the day to say, you know, yes, we're definitely going in the studio. Okay, this is a question from Patrick. In the post-punk era, in the music press, there were singers in some bands who were taken very seriously as if they were the great philosophers of the day. And from what I can remember, no one was taken more seriously and their words and their lyrics and interviews more analysed than Paul Weller. Did that put a lot of pressure on you guys or did you just laugh it off as being ridiculous? A bit of both, I should say, really. Um, he said sitting on the fence. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that was the feelings of, of a 20-year-old, you know, yeah. and the opinion of a 20-year-old or thereabouts, you know. Um, some of them, and I won't be able to mention specifically, but some of them, you know, make you cringe now. If you listen to it, you think, oh, why, why did I say that or whatever, you know. Yeah. But we were a lot younger and we were pretty self-opinionated. You know? On our podcast um, about the jam, I told the story of how in 1980 I drove a little Mazda 323 around and it only had two cassettes in it. One was a police album and the other one was Setting Sun. So I got to know that album backwards at the time. Uh, but the standout song for me was um, Smithers Jones, the song you wrote. Is that the orchestral version of it? Yeah, that was the orchestral version. Here we go again. It's Monday at last. He's heading for the water. So, um... How do you guys play that song now? Well, we've got a cable player. I mean, the only reason he's not coming to Australia is because of his expenses, basically. Oh, and we can, as, as history will show you, that we can do it as a three piece, you know. Yeah. Sorry, what was the question? Actually, there was no question. I was just telling you how much I love that album. Yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, as Jones that we were talking about with the orchestral version, I mean, that was Vic Smith's idea. Right. And it just blew me away, you know. I was so chuffed, really, to, that 
everybody wanted to do it like that. You know, it was a, probably my best attempt at writing a song, really. You are sorry, Graham. You asked about um, how do we do it on stage. Well, we've given it a bit like football players, really. We've given it a bit of a subs bench for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I dare say for Australia, we'll put it back in and a few others that we're not playing over here because they've been played to death sort of thing. Oh, right. And it just keeps the, the set fresh, really yeah. fresh and exciting. You know, because we, we certainly don't think, oh, here we go again, you know, same old song, you know, just make out you're enjoying it. It's not at all like that. You know, we give it 100% even now. Yeah. Yeah, ly- lyrically, Smithers-Jones is wonderful and I think it still resonates today. Yeah, Um you know, it was based around my dad, basically, that he worked for uh, Charrington Coal. I don't, I don't think they exist anymore, but um, mm. he was there for a lot of years and very loyal to the company. And then when they were reducing their employees, he was first in line, you know, and it just seemed so unfair that he'd given, basically given pretty much his life, his working life with this one company. Mm. And then they just got him. Mm. You know, and like you said, it, it does happen all the time. It's still relevant now. I don't yeah. know what the answer is, really. Just be prepared to be made redundant. Yeah, uh, while I loved Setting Suns, my... Uh, Two podcasting cohorts uh, really loved the album before that, All Mod Cons. It's the one really that it's their third album. It's the one that really put us on the map, so to speak. Third album yeah. was a bit like last throw of the dice almost because, you know, this is the modern world, the second album, followed up from In the City, which was recorded so quickly in 10 days and just, you know, the band full on. Yeah. Um, uh, they didn't really get that um, this is the modern world was uh, had acoustic guitars on it. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> we got it in the city number two. You know, it's like yeah. we we're, we're always trying to push the boundaries, really, and um, you know, move forward. What we consider is moving forward, and I think over the years we've all become better musicians, anyway. Yeah, well, that was right. There was definite progression from in the city to the gift. Um, you're always going from one style to another. We just took what we wanted, you know, um, how it came out. It's a bit like it wasn't really a direction or anything. We just sort of said, well, let's go in the studio and see what we can come up with. So, you know, we, we, we also didn't really put singles on albums. That's one thing we've spoken about on our podcast, the fact that uh, bands regularly release singles that weren't on albums. Um, was Do you think this was part of the punk ethos or were you giving the fans kind of value for money? The latter, you know. Yeah. On this next tour, are there going to be any surprises? Maybe playing some songs you don't normally play? Certainly the uh, greatest hits yeah. with other tracks that maybe we haven't played for a while. And it goes in rehearsals if, they, if we can remember them. <laughs> okay, you've probably answered this question a lot, but um, how did the jam get together originally? Well, we 
uh, Steve Brooks, who was a lead guitarist, Paul Weller, Rick, and myself, we all lived in close proximity to each other. I never met them at school because um, I was a slightly older boy, basically. So I was in a couple of years ahead of them. But I, the local Woking News and Mail, it was there was a, a like a big sheet there in in the paper that uh, the jam were um, looking for a, a guitarist. So I went along as an interview and see how it went. I was playing rhythm guitar at the time when I joined the jam. Okay. Uh, and the college story is short. The uh, Steve Brooks decided to leave the band. He had enough for whatever reason that was. I'm not sure. Um, and you know, we said, "Well, because Paul was playing bass." Okay. But when Steve left, he decided that he'll he'll play the guitar, guitar, and gave me the bass and said, "There you go." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." So he showed me a couple of riffs, and then we said, "Well, we'll give it a shot then." So it was like Rick, obviously, on drums, myself on bass, and uh, uh, Paul on uh, rhythm, stroke lead guitar. You know, very Wilbur Johnson esque, I suppose. Um, and it obviously it worked, but it was that. So I said, I kind of saw, I, I attended an ad that was in the local paper basically and met the guys. And because obviously, as you appreciate, most people would, um, you've got to get on with them as well, whoever it is. You know, I mean, one thing being competent and able to play the tunes, that's okay. But what's it going to be like, you know, three hours in a bus or something? You know, is it, are we going to get on or, or what? Um, and they obviously thought that they could get on with me. So uh, the gig was mine, but as I say, I went in a rhythm guitarist, came out a bass player. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to have been in London when you guys first started playing. It was great, exciting times. And I mean, you know, with the punk movement, the music industry was stale, basically. Mm. It needed a kick up the backside. So from that point of view, with the punk movement, I think you could have count us in, you know, that it did need kicking up the backside. Paul McCartney recently talking about the, the you know the, the single that they put together. Mm. Um, I heard him say that he was very lucky and proud to have played, um, you know, all those songs with the other guys, you know, and uh, that's kind of how I feel about Rick and Paul, you know, that um, it it was a joy to be part of their their scene. I was very lucky to have met them. Okay. Well, I have to wrap this up soon, but um, before you go, I just want to ask you about Tube Station. Um, I've always thought that that song was a real turning point in the jam's career. Um, structurally, it was a really odd song, but it became a really big hit. still goes down great live. You know, it's a good yeah. track. Live. It just seemed like a really sophisticated arrangement, and, and your bass line, <laughs> I've, I've tried to play it many times. I think it's but as a single it, it really stood out from the rest and uh, and the lyrics there was this like wonderful narrative through it yeah that's the sort of lyrics that I like yeah so you can actually understand well, Bruce, it's been an honour talking to you. Um, as you can tell, I was a huge fan of the band back in the day. But uh, thanks for your time, and we look forward to seeing you next March. Great. I wish I could shake your hand. <laughs> thanks a lot, Brad. Thanks, Bruce. The Christ, 